This is Scott Richmond, the director for New York and New Jersey for ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, coming to you from the front lines. ADL is on the front line every day fighting anti-Semitism and hate, and this show brings that to you from the WVOX studios in New York. Our front line in the fight against hate is the battle against extremists, such as the Oath Keepers. But one year ago, those fighting this battle were given a gift. The Oath Keepers database of 38,000 names was somehow leaked. Through painstaking analysis, ADL has looked at every one of those 38,000 names and analyzed who they are. Those in positions of power are obviously of greatest concern. That analysis was just released and spread quickly around the country thanks to the Associated Press. My colleague Alex Friedfeld is an investigative researcher in ADL's Center on Extremism. He did much of this work and he has joined me on today's show to tell us what he found. Welcome, Alex, too, from the front lines. Hey, Scott. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's start with the basic question. Who are the Oath Keepers and why should we be concerned if somebody is a member? So the Oath Keepers are a far-right extremist group that is part of the militia movement. And so, like the rest of militias, they believe that the federal government has been co-opted by some sort of conspiracy and that's now actively trying to strip Americans of their rights and freedom with the aim of ultimately enslaving the people. But what sets the Oath Keepers apart from other militias is the fact that they explicitly target current and former military, law enforcement, and emergency services personnel, which is obviously a deep concern given the the amount of power that those individuals uh, have in our communities. And we saw kind of the logical conclusion of the Oath Keeper ideology uh, in the way that they've been involved in standoffs over the last, you know, 10 years against the federal government in places like Bundy Ranch. And perhaps most noticeably, uh, on January 6th, where individuals of the Oath Keepers were at the Capitol, and the government is alleging that they were intimately involved and plotted to uh, oppose the peaceful transfer of power on that day. So tell us about this leak. What was leaked, and, and how was it leaked? About a year ago, um, a journalistic collective released this information. Uh, they released chats, they released emails, and most importantly for us, they released a database containing 38,000 names. And within that, it wasn't just names. It was addresses, it was phone numbers, it was email addresses, really a wealth of resources. And for an extremist researcher like myself, that was basically gold, right? It is very rare to have, you know, personal information for extremists, let alone thousands of names like that. Um, and so almost immediately we, we, we recognized it as the opportunity it was, uh, you know, to kind of get a sense of who exactly joins the Oath Keepers and just how far has this ideology spread throughout society. Does it mean that they were card-carrying members of the Oath Keepers and believed in, in their rhetoric, their policies? No. All we know is the fact that at some point they paid dues to the Oath Keepers, right? We don't know whether they are, they remain active members of the group. We don't know about their level of engagement uh, with the organization over the years. Again, all we know is that at one point in time they paid money. That said, it is deeply concerning that these people, you know, signed up because the fact of the matter is the Oath Keepers have been extremists since their founding. And the fact that something within their message resonated with these people enough to the point where they felt it was necessary and appropriate to send money to this group is deeply disturbing. Tell us about ADL's uh, work with this database now over the past year. What did we decide to do with the data and what, what took us a full year to do it? We decided to kind of go through at name by name, really a painstaking process um, with an eye towards identifying people who had 
uh, you know, who hold sensitive positions in society, whether it's, you know, as law enforcement, as, you know, military, first responders, elected officials. Uh, we really wanted to get a sense of what exactly was here. And so 38,000 names, it's a lot. So it took some time to kind of go through. Um, it's one of the reasons, you know, we were able to do it because we have the resources and manpower to put towards such an important cause. Um, and so, you know, we, we worked at that for months and months. We tried to verify as much as possible. You know, what we have been doing is we've been sharing this information uh, behind the scenes with law enforcement across the country to ensure that anyone who is carrying a badge that showed up in this database, that, you know, the police agency that they work for is aware of it. Um, we are doing the same with the military, and we are ensuring that everyone who holds a sensitive position, uh, the people who need to have that information, get it. Okay, so then let me ask what's perhaps a sensitive question, which is why didn't law enforcement do this type of analysis? Why, why was it left to ADL? That's a really important question, um, and I, 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 don't, I can't speak for what exactly was law enforcement's reasoning. Um, you know, one of the challenges we had, though, is the fact that many people that we spoke to, you know, I, me and my colleagues have been speaking to law enforcement agencies across the country, and they simply weren't aware of that this database even existed. Uh, and that speaks to, again, you know, the need for law enforcement agencies and really kind of people and institutions of power across the country to be aware of what these extremist groups are doing and what is out there. Because the fact of the matter is, even if you aren't aware of them, they are actively trying to convert people to their cause, uh, to use whatever means at their disposal to recruit more individuals so that they can advance their agenda. And, of course, there's the issue of the criminal predicate. You know, the uh, law enforcement really needs uh, a predicate to be able to uh, to pursue individuals like this. Absolutely, right? Um, and we are not saying, you know, that these people are criminals. All we are saying is that, you know, we are, we are pointing out that they showed up in these databases and that this is something that needs to be investigated and taken seriously to determine the extent that they are, you know, engaged with the group and support this ideology. Okay, give us some of the numbers. What did our analysis show? We found hundreds of people across the country who were in key sensitive positions that signed up for the, the, the Oath Keepers. Um, we found, you know, 81 elected officials holding a wide range of positions from local town councilmen uh, all the way up to state senators. Uh, we found over 100 people serving in the military. Uh, and we found 373 active law enforcement across the country. And that last number uh, I find particularly alarming because the fact of the matter is last year we released a report that found 76 cases over the course of 10 years uh, across the country where we identified uh, individuals who were working at law enforcement and had at the time were associating or showing support for extremist groups of all kinds, right? So that's 76 over 10 years. And with just one group, we found five times that number. What about those running for elected office? Are these people who are uh, actually running for elected office and people didn't realize their association with the Oath Keepers? Yeah, I mean, we've, we found a, a lot of individuals who didn't publicly identify as Oath Keepers but still were on this membership list. Um, you know, I think when they signed up, they didn't expect that this information would ever, you know, reach the public. But now that it has, uh, you know, I think it is incredibly important for people to be aware of just who they're voting for uh, in these races. All right. And what have we done with this information now that we have it besides release it to the press? So, you know, as I said, we have been reaching out to law enforcement agencies across the country uh, in order to share the data to ensure, you know, that they are aware 
of people within their ranks uh, who are currently, you know, who showed up in this database. Um, we are in the process of doing the same with the military, uh, and we will continue to do those things to ensure that uh, people are aware uh, of people, you know, important people uh, holding these positions that showed up in this database because this association is deeply upsetting, it is dangerous, um, and it's unacceptable. And what's been the response? Uh, I know there's, there's probably response from the media, but, but more broadly, what's been the response to this? People have, you know, really appreciated the work that we've done, and they have kind of taken, you know, we, we shined a light on what was in this database, and they've really kind of picked up the ball and run with it. Um, you know, they are investigating, you know, politicians. Uh, you know, journalists are investigating politicians, are looking into them, trying asking important questions about these individuals and whether or not they are still members of the Oath Keepers or whether they still support that ideology. Um, we have seen people, you know, talk about law enforcement, about, uh, again, the military, right? People have really kind of taken this opportunity to, to dig further into the people that we help to identify in order to ensure that, again, these are not still active Oath Keepers or people who hold extremist ideologies that are in positions of power. You know, we're coming to the end of the show, but I have one sort of broader question. This analysis shows a surprising number of people in positions of power in this country that may hold extremist views. What does that say to you as a staff person at the Center on Extremism about the state of extremism in this country? It's alarming. It is uh, very upsetting. And we are watching this as part of a broader trend as extremism moves more to the mainstream. And I think it only doubles down our importance of the work that we are doing to combat extremism across the country. Yeah, I think that message of extremism moving to the mainstream is very important. You know, this was certainly a mammoth effort, which points to uh, extremely troubling findings. Thank you, Alex, for sharing these details. Thanks for the painstaking work to bring this information to the public. And thanks for the incredibly important work that you and your colleagues in the Center on Extremism do every day. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, of course, a big thank you to the listeners who tuned in to From the Frontlines, either live on WVOX 1460 AM or as a podcast. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or on Spotify to ensure that you do not miss a show. Just search for From the Frontlines. And please engage in these important conversations throughout the week by following me on Facebook and Twitter. My handle is at Scott A. Richmond, and our hashtag is fighting hate for good.